everyone. Welcome to the Treehouse Letter Podcast. I'm your host, Melin Shatton. Today's podcast is titled, Just What Goes Into the Making of a Myth or a Legend. I listened to my daughter's English teacher explain the importance of myths in contemporary culture. The idea that something new is often created from the weaving of old threads. That the common view of originality is more likely a result of a long series of advances. It is less a flash of genius or spike in creativity as much as it is a reshaping and morphing of existing materials into something new. It's interesting to think of story this way. Maybe the new tale begins with a simple and kind act or a desperate and courageous one. Either is unlikely an isolated event, but one among a multitude of otherwise mundane and minor such events, such moments. It evolves from many similar events and like those tales told over and over, an outgrowth of such archetypal stories. This weekend, my family visited Brooklyn to retrace the footsteps that firefighter Stephen Siller took on 9-11. I was not alone, joining some 30,000 people in a homage to his fateful trek through the battery tunnel to the Twin Towers. Stephen Siller had finished his shift when he pulled into the firehouse the morning of September 11, 2001. He heard of a plane hitting the North Tower on his scanner and drove to the tunnel. It was closed, so he got out of his truck, put on 60 pounds of gear, and began on foot. He raced through the tunnel to get to the Twin Towers. After learning about the attack, Siller had called his wife, then head into Manhattan to help the memorial run. For an event like the Tunnel to Towers, there's always a lot of waiting. I picked up my bid at the Ikea parking lot number nine, where thousands of participants stood around in groups. The day was sunny and already warming up at 8 a.m. Wave D formed up near Kofi Park, where I stood with my family for over an hour as runner and walkers spilled in. The Jumbotron screen Mounted high, let us see and hear the tributes to the 343 FD New York firefighters and 71 law enforcement officers and the thousands of civilians who lost their lives that day. The speaker announced that the largest group in the tunnel to the towers were 2,700 cadets from West Point who would run the route in formation. My My family cheered for them and for my daughter, Kara, who would be running as a cadet for the third time. She had asked if we wanted to join, so we did, all five of us. Waves of people walked north on Richard Street, thousands of us pressing together. The rise of voices with children among them, the energy was palpable to get going. Firefighters wore their gear from helmet to boots, units from all over, families and friends in memorial shirts. My geography of the area was sketchy, and I would learn soon enough as I crossed under the street arch of balloons at the starting line. The tunnel consists of twin tubes which connect Brooklyn to Battery Park in Manhattan, traversing the mouth of the East River underwater. I pressed the button on my Garmin and began jogging with my husband, Mark. My two younger children had darted ahead, both athletes and one a cross-country runner. 
I circled onto the down ramp towards the tunnel and saw two large red X's and the words, do not enter above the entrance. Large lights, which I imagine were also used to close the tunnel on 9-11. The tide of runners in red gray shirts rolled down past the warning signs. As I descended into the tunnel, the bodies compressed together like water into a funnel. Going into the tunnel, I realized something that no amount of thinking or analysis could provide. What it feels like to run into a long underwater tube. The event may not be a good thing to do if you are claustrophobic, to run into a tunnel. And I was rested from a night's sleep in my t-shirt and sneakers, unlike Siller, who had just come off shift and wore firefighting clothing and heavy gear. I would be going down for a while. I thought about the air and the lighting. At the mile mark, I was still jogging down. Police were stationed along the tube, and it was well lit. Yet the water was all around, above and below the walls, a river unseen. At the Star Corral, I had overheard a man talking about the choke point when you hit the tunnel and what it was like inside. He said, don't look ahead because looking ahead can make you dizzy. You can lose your footing. Focus on those just in front. The two lanes were separated by posts in the median which runners weaved around, walkers on the right and runners on the left. I was well into the tunnel when I reached what appeared to be the dip or the bottom point. You know, Siller's sense of duty was admirable, especially for the tens of thousands of us who were scuttling through Sunday morning. Yet he had to be thinking about his family, his wife Sally and his five children. It took time and effort for him to make it through. What went through his mind in those 15 to 20 minutes, slogging through the panic of people fleeing Manhattan? Most of the 5K was in the tunnel, which was 9,117 feet long. That is 1.7 miles which makes it the longest underwater tunnel in North America. Runners began to walk as it sloped upward. At the two mile point on my Garmin, I reached up with two fingers like a victory sign. For faster runners, there wasn't much they could do, carefully pacing in and out of the masses. I imagine on 9-11, amid the car fumes and the chaos and the mania, that Siller ran in the opposite direction against the crowd. Didn't he know better? Didn't his wife and his family and his friends ask this same question a thousand times since? Running to the towers meant leaving his brothers, who he had planned to meet that morning, after his shift for a round of golf. Leaving his wife and leaving his five children. Leaving it all behind. Why did he do it? What makes someone run into chaos and destruction and possible death when humans are programmed for survival, for fight or flight? Well, I had part of my answer when I arose from the tunnel in the cool air to a reception of cadets along the road, holding flags, holding photos of the fallen, lining the route. Rounding the corner, seeing the Hudson River and Freedom Tower, One World Trade Center, the reason became apparent to uphold what he held dear. 
Siller chose to help others. A lot goes into the making of myth or legend that I will not know. Siller's legend in particular. I did learn some things about Siller in that fateful morning. I know what it feels like to run in the tunnel on a good day. And Siller knew something about going the wrong way. A decision he made to run towards the towers rather than save himself. A decision he affirmed with every step he took in that tunnel. Had he done so before? No. Was this a new tale or an original one? Hmm. No. And yes. The attacks were unlike anything America had ever seen. Yet Siller had trained for this. He had set out on this path a long time before. On a different day, in a different place, he had suited up against disaster, and he had done what he needed to do, not once, but many times. The story reminds me of the king's three questions. When is the right time for action? Who are the most necessary people? And what is the most important thing to do? And this is a tale told in a new time. Siller knew he was needed at that moment, though his shift was over. He knew the people in the Twin Towers needed him. He knew what he had to do. The Tunnel to Towers story has similar threads to Leo Tolstoy's short story about the king who believed that if he knew the answers to the three questions, he would never fail. The king saved his would-be assassin and earned a faithful subject. Stephen Siller died. Yet his noble and generous spirit, like that 1,776, that's right, 1776 foot tall skyscraper, soars above us and inspires us still. That's the end of today's podcast. Please visit thetreehouseletter.com to learn more. And thank you for listening. Hello, and thanks for turning in to the Treehouse Letter. I'm your host, Milan Shatton, and today's podcast is titled Giving Thanks in 2019. A senior on hospice talks about life's big questions. Each year at this time, I give thanks for my blessings. Some years, the mire and muck in life make that harder than others. This year, a blessing came as a surprise. I had a chance to talk to a friend's mother who was in hospice at the end of a five-year struggle with pancreatic cancer. The woman's name is Sandra, and here are some things she shared. Sandra said she had a really special year because her son, Ken, had scheduled each grandchild to visit with her separately. Most of the time, she saw them together, and visiting this way allowed her to spend time individually with each grandchild. On time. Sandra turned 70 this year and has been a single mother raising my friend Ken. It was interesting to listen to her stories. Her voice was strong, her thoughts well-organized, as were the things she chose to tell me. She said, I'm in a hurry right now. There's just so much I want to teach my grandchildren. Every minute is a treasure. 
She's never made things about herself. She's made a life taking care of her son, doing things for others. And at this final stage, she said, it's all about me. She believed self-awareness was key. She took time to share her struggles, the most difficult things and the stories, candidly with her grandchildren. Sandra said she had a great childhood, good parents. She and her siblings were just simple kids, and childhood was different back then. On friendship and love, she said, friendship, it's everything. A friend gave her this quote, friends are the family we choose. And it's displayed in her home because it is true. As a single mother in California, she realized how important friends were, period. She had no family there. Sandra learned early that she had love in my heart for ideas and people. Love in the heart for ideas and people. She asked herself whether it was a true thought, and she emphasized this. She asked further, does everyone else have this? And she assumed that everybody else was like her, that they were the same. She had a shotgun wedding, and the marriage didn't last. Her parents were encouraging, but they cut her off because that was what was done in the 60s. Her college fund stopped. She knew she would have to go it on her own, and so she went to California from Illinois. She began a new business as a single mom. No one gets by unscathed. Each of us goes through this life and there are smooth parts and huge blips. No one gets by unscathed. Build your character in the smooth times. Make it through those blips, period. Know that you're not the only one. And she said that multiple times in different ways. I'm not the only one. This could be part of God's plan. In that building of yourself in smooth times, that makes you strong. But the key thing is, do not make it all about you. Everyone must die. And every day you have a choice. Make the choice for joy every day. You have a choice. Make the choice for joy. The search. So many people she knows from years ago, decades ago, were still caught up in their anger. Life goes on. And Sandra said to get over it because it's really about the search, the search for great wisdom. You must be open. When I asked her about regrets, she said she had no regrets. Oh, she could have done things better. She could have handled things better. But she lives by example in her search for enlightenment or joy or wisdom. People have requested private interviews with her personal meetings They've been inspired, and they want to understand, to learn from her. Sandra lived by setting simple little goals. As a young woman trying to make it on her own with her son, she was proud when she could save 27 cents on her budget. Set little goals and go through that next day, the next week, a little bit at a time. And when you see that you have success, you feel good about yourself. Her greatest achievement I asked about her greatest achievement, about her life or profession or family, and she said it was to raise her son, Ken, as a man in this world, to bring forth this good person in the world. She was also proud of Joel, who has been like a second son to her and a brother to Ken. 
she had taken Joel in and chose to love him. She said how proud she was of these two men, and for that she was most grateful. I asked her about what she believed would come next. Did she believe in heaven or an afterlife, or maybe reincarnation? As a Catholic, she wasn't sure about reincarnation. She said, the nuns said when you die, you'll get all the answers to your questions, Sandra. And she believed that. Sandra said people told her that she was an old soul. And an old soul meant that she had lived more than once. And she laughed then. And she said, every step of the way has been a challenge. I'm not sure about that. If I'd done this before, it would have been easier. I've talked with Sandra twice, and we've been also writing. What she shared has stayed with me. And here they are in review, just from this last talk. Every minute is a treasure. Friendship is everything. Carry love in your heart for ideas and people. No one gets by unscathed in this life. Know that you're not the only one. Build your character in the smooth times. You have a choice, so make a choice for joy. Life is about the search for wisdom, for enlightenment, for joy. You must be open. You must be self-aware. Awareness is key. Set little goals. Do a little bit at a time and find success. Feel good about yourself. Life's greatest achievement may be your children or the people you've touched around you. I woke this morning and I walked into the treehouse, which is right behind my bedroom. The horizon was a rose-colored glow in the poplars, their branches silhouettes like arms reaching skyward. The leaves were all gone. In Connecticut, where I am surrounded by broadleaf trees, the bare branches in fall let the sunrise shine through. This reminded me of Sandra, a brilliance in the autumn of life. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you also to my friends and family for your kindness, for joy, for love. That's the end of today's podcast. Please visit the Treehouse Letter to read about this interview and review the answers to the big questions. Thank you for listening.